0: for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Friday, April 27th, 2018 gonna end the week off with a couple of good sermons in the second hour <laughs> what we're gonna do in the first hour we're gonna slow down a little bit I'll explain momentarily. to open up God's Word, to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine, that's teaching that's put forward for consumption by evangelicals, is far, like, not even close <laughs> to what Scripture says. And it's just getting worse is the best way I can put it. It's just getting worse. It's like pastors are either completely oblivious to just basic reading comprehension, basic exegesis, basic hermeneutic skills, how to rightly handle God's word—they're clearly not qualified to teach the Word of God, and and or they've become bored with it. They think it's irrelevant. They think the Bible's the thing driving people away, and so uh, they've lost all confidence in it. And they—it's as if they make all these efforts to stay away from any type of real in-depth teaching of God's Word, or they waste so much time in the sermon with filler that by the time they even get to God's Word, it's like, whoa, look at the time. Oh boy, we're not going to have much time here. We got to, we'll have to come back to, yeah, it's the weirdest thing. So just saying. Okay. So a little bit of a, you know, house cleaning item want to let you know that uh, there are still plenty of spots available for this year's 2018 Pirate Christian Radio Conference. Uh, it'll be held at Kongsvinger Lutheran Church in Oslo, Minnesota. That's right, Oslo, Minnesota. You have to say it, you have to say it that way. It, it, that's where it'll be held, Oslo, Minnesota, and, uh, and at Kongsvinger. It's been held there for the past few years. And uh, only 150 spots total available, and spots are starting to fill up, so... Uh, If you would like to come out for our 10th anniversary with us, uh, again, the speakers are myself, the Reverend Dr. Matt Richard, uh, uh, Phil Johnson, not Bill Johnson, Phil Johnson, uh, who is a regular here on Fighting for the Faith, as well as Sandra Ostapowicz. It will be a fantastic time. Would love to see you. And you're going to know we purposely keep our conferences small. Yeah, yeah, we do. And the reason why is super simple. We want you to come and experience, be part of uh, the uh, P- Pirate Christian Radio community, get to know each other, and we found that by keeping the, uh, the number of participants and registrants to a number less than 200... <laughs> Right around, we try to keep it like between 120 and 150. That's what we shoot for every year. Uh, it it just makes it so that you're able to spend time talking to me, talking to Phil Johnson, talking to Reverend Matt Richard, meeting the people of Kongsvinger, meeting each other. Talking it it's it's just always a really good time every year, year after year. So you know, get online, go to FightingForTheFaith.com. You to go to our website, and at the top of the website. You'll see the navigation uh, along the top, and they'll talk about the 2018 PCR conference, you know, all the information on how to register costs, where to stay, where to fly into. All of that's there. And so it'll be the second weekend of uh, August. So it'll be the Friday, Saturday of the second weekend of August. It, you know, you get, I forget the dates offhand, like 11th, 12th, something like that. I'm not looking at the website. Doing this from memory, and, and memory is getting bad by the – the older I get. Anyway, so that—just uh, wanted to let you know that. Now, let's talk about what we're going to do on this episode of Fighting for the Faith. And as we are rapidly approaching summer, mm-hmm, let me explain what is happening here. Um, as we rapidly approach summer, the—let's the, uh, just say the vigorousness, the— uh, <laughs> of uh, the Bible twisting, we notice, takes a huge nosedive. It, it, it becomes low-energy Bible twist, low-energy <laughs> Bible twisting, the closer we get here in the United States to Memorial Day. And the reason's quite simple, because by this time, the uh, the Bible twisters and those who have figured out a way to make a really comfortable living, you know, twisting God's Word and telling people what they want to hear – uh, yeah, there 's not a lot of money i 'm just saying there's like, <laughs> like it's not a lot of money at all in rightly teaching the truth and proclaiming christ but uh, but the the guys who figured out how to scratch itching ears you know as they get closer to the you know the month of May and the end of may you know so we're we 're like a month away now from like the Memorial Day weekend. Um, what happens is is that you know, they start to kind of taper off to lose a little bit of interest in and uh, and so by the time you get to the summer, I mean over and again in the seeker-driven mega churches, the big box churches, you know to kind of spice things up, you know they'll have movie sermons and things like that. And then uh, and th- while the the lead vision casting leaders are off, you know vacationing in exotic locations, you know staying in five star hotels and things like that. Uh, <laughs> oh, if only. Uh- <laughs> So you know th- what they end up doing is you know they'll have the second and third string you know reserve guys come in and do the preaching and teaching, and so you know this just just so you know that's coming up. So the end of the current heresy hurricane season that we are in, it'll come to an end about a month from now as we get into, uh, you know, the Memorial Day and into the summer. And then we try to change things up a little bit at Fighting for the Faith during the summer because, uh, you know, we, we let's just say Fighting for the Faith is a program that heavily depends upon a steady diet of bad teaching. And when the, the best bad teachers are out and about cashing in their – you know, their checks so that they can stay in exotic places, you know, it, it, it gets a little uh, weird. So be be ready for that. But that being the case, as we are getting close to the end of the heresy hurricane season, I decided I'd kind of change it up a little bit here. And, uh, and here's what I mean by that, is that yesterday I was noticing, you know, it, over and again, kind of an increase in a particular type of Bible twisting. And that is like not even paying attention to what the text says, <laughs> but seeing in it some pattern or something so uh, that we're supposed to follow or expect in our lives. So what we're gonna do in uh, you know for um, the uh, the the first half of this hour, we're gonna listen to Paul Doherty uh, from Tulsa. And we're going to listen to a sermon of his that's supposedly on the epistles of Paul and even the book of Galatians. It's titled, Embrace the Process. And the, the process that he's engaging in is the process of ignoring <laughs> what the text actually says. It's a fascinating Bible twist. Notice Madhu doing it yesterday in the sermon review. So uh, we'll be, So first half of the first hour, that's what we'll do. Second half... Of the first hour, we will do a, a vision casting leader update with uh, Levi Lusco. And Levi Lusco, I. Don't even know what to make of this sermon. I mean, we recently did a Levi Lusco update where we were basically asking the question: Has he just given up? I mean, just like rolled over and decided to die? As it, it when it comes to you know rightly handling b- biblical texts and stuff like that, we're going to listen to the opening portion of uh, a sermon from the Life Is a Highway sermon series titled "Rumble Strip," and. I am not making this up. I mean, it is, you know, it's 10 to 12 minutes of complete filler, including a plug for making sure that you have a carbon monoxide, uh, you know, detection device. Yeah. It, 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 it's, I mean, just what is that? Anyway, so uh, that will be hour number one. So just two segments in the first hour. Then hour number two. We are going to hear a sermon from uh, uh, Pastor Mark Bestial from Calvary Lutheran Church in Elgin, Illinois. And the name of the sermon is Peace to You. It's on Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 49. And then we'll end off the week with a second good sermon. Uh, This one from Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Illinois. Not Aurora, in in, in Aurora, Colorado. I was going to say Illinois. Aurora, Colorado. And the name of it is uh, Peace and Forgiveness, and his uh, sermon is on the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through uh, 31, and uh, Pastor Bestials is on Luke 24, 36 through 49. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable. We we got a lot of ground to cover, but we're going to cover it slowly is the best way I can put it. So let's go ahead and dive into it with this update music. Oh, it really doesn't matter what I do, what I do As long as I do it with a flare What effect a little smoke is With a dash of hocus-pocus And a scent of burning sulfur in the air I'm a fraud, a hoax, a charlatan, a joke But they love me everywhere
1: For it really doesn't matter what I do, what I do As long as I do it
0: with a flare all right, so we're heading over to Victory Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Pastor Paul Doherty is uh, is going to be preaching a, a sermon on the epistles and writings of the Apostle Paul, even making mention of the Book of Galatians. And the name of the message—I'm not making this up—is embrace the process. And this is, you know, we, we've talked about uh, different you know, ways in which you can twist Scripture. And, of course, uh, one of the more memorable terms we use here is we call it narcigesis, where you narcissistically eisegete yourself into a biblical text and you know especially like an old testament narrative like the story of David and Goliath and things like that but this is a weird thing that uh, I'm beginning to notice more and more and it really bugged me and irked me yesterday when we were doing our sermon review with a uh, Robert Medu and uh, and and that was he didn't actually pay any attention to what the text said or meant instead he saw it as you know some kind of a principle or process that we're supposed to expect to happen and follow in our lives In medu's case he was preaching on Jesus's prayer in the garden of gethsemane right before he goes to the cross and dies for our sins and literally makes that about learning how to you know be you know have certainty under pressure <laughs> it's like what on Earth, Well, yeah, Paul Doherty's going to kind of do something similar, and he's going to not pay any attention to <laughs> what Paul's epistles say. No, he's going to talk about some process that we saw Paul go through, therefore we should expect that process to happen to us as well. Not making that up. Here's um, uh, Paul Daugherty. Well, hey, we have been in this series called St.
2: Paul, and this is one of my most favorite series we've ever done as a church. What we find in the life of St. Paul is that this dude had a past that needed a lot of grace. The same guy that would later on write about the amazing grace of God needed to figure out that it wasn't all about his works. He was a strict Pharisee. He did all the religious duties. And so I want you to turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter one
0: and Galatians chapter one. Okay, we'll take a look there. Go ahead and flip on over to Galatians chapter 1. I want him to spin this out a little bit, but Galatians chapter 1.
2: We get loud loud when we open up the Bible. And I want to talk to you about what God did in Paul's life after he got saved. Today I want to talk to you about the process. Everybody say process.
0: Wait a second. (laughs) Let's see. I I've taught through the book of Galatians and uh, and actually bring it back up frequently here at Fighting for the Faith as well as at the church where I serve and um I don't ever recall reading the book of Galatians or teaching the book of Galatians and you know passing along you know the teaching regarding some process that we're supposed to expect in our lives w- what version of Galatians are you reading from
2: Process. For everything in our life, there is a process. There's a process of preparation. Farmers know this, that there's a process of sowing and reaping. That if you want to get a harvest, there's a process of, of uh, tilling the soil, preparing it, laying down the seed, right? There's a, there's a season, a process of preparation before you see the harvest in your life. What we're gonna to learn today in this season of Paul's life is that God privately prepares us before he publicly promotes us.
0: <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. I am gonna lose it. I, I was fearing this. Okay, so um before I explode, let, let's check over <laughs> check out Galatians chapter one. I'm one hundred and ninety-seven percent uh positive that the Galatians chapter 1 doesn't teach us about some process of preparation before God promotes us and, you know, things like that. Uh, Galatians chapter 1, a uh, harshly, strongly worded letter written to the churches of Galatia for their tolerance of and embracing of false teachers of the Judaizing stripe who were literally adding works... To salvation as, like, you know, you can't be saved unless you keep Torah and are circumcised and things like that. Yeah, so here's what Paul writes of Galatians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. "'Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.'" "'I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel.'" Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed or damned. Anathema is the word there. As we have said before, so I say again, if anyone's preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be damned. Anathema. All right, So you kind of get the gist of what Paul's talking about here is that these guys came along, the Judaizers, and they were teaching a different gospel. And, and Paul has reserved the strongest of rebukes for those who would preach a different gospel. In fact, such a strong rebuke, he doesn't even consider them brothers in Christ. And then he says this, verse 10, "...for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ." "'Beyond uh, many of my own age among my people, "'so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. "'But when he who had set me apart before I was born "'and who called me by his grace "'was pleased to reveal his Son to me, "'in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles,' I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and and remained with him for 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie." Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Now, immediately the question comes up, why is the Apostle Paul feeling like he has to give all of that data? Well, you get the idea as to why he has to say all of that, because the opening of his letter is Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. Because not only were the Judaizers coming in and saying, if you're not circumcised, you're not saved, they were undermining the apostle Paul and saying, yeah, that apostle Paul, he he didn't hang out with Jesus in Galilee and Capernaum for the last for 3 years of his life and all that kind of stuff. No, no, no. So he's not really an apostle and he doesn't really preach the gospel at all because he, you know, he he doesn't have the same credentials as Peter and the other guys. And so they were literally slandering him in order to undermine his credentials. That's why Paul is saying these things. So we just read all of Galatians chapter 1. And uh, I'm not seeing any of the things that Paul Doherty is uh, making a big to-do about.
2: Privately prepares us that, that that God shows us through the life of Paul that there's always a private preparation before there's a public promotion. Private preparation precedes public promotion. All of us in this room have desires, dreams, ideas, things that God's called us to do one day.
0: Uh, Galatians chapter one has nothing to do with any desires or dreams or things that you want to do someday.
2: You guys are waiting on something right now in this season. You're waiting, right? Some of you are waiting to have.
0: Yeah, I'm waiting for you to rightly handle a biblical text.
2: Some of you are waiting to get married. Where's all the singles in the house? All right. Come on. Look around. Look around. Scope out the territory. All of us in this room, we're waiting on something. We're waiting on a spouse or you're waiting on children or maybe you're waiting for your children to grow up or maybe you're waiting, you know, you're waiting on a promotion. You're waiting on increase. You're waiting on a check in the mail. You're waiting for a job. All of us are waiting on something. Ashley and I right now, we are waiting on our third child to come. Right? So we are pregnant right now. Or she's pregnant, not me. And, uh, but I had something to do with it. Come on, Jesus. TMI, too much information. But cleanse your thoughts in Jesus' name.
0: Yeah, that's strictly forbidden by um, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, what he just did. By the way, that's not tongues. That's gibberish. Something completely different.
2: Holy Spirit, help us right now. Y'all are like, what language is he talking? It's a language I'm going to talk about in this series. The language of the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about the gift of speaking in tongues. And we need it. It's not a gift for 2,000 years ago. It's a gift even for today. But Paul had a past. He was a saint with the past, a sinner with the future. God was transforming his life. So he gets to Galatians chapter 1. And what we're going to discover here is Paul leads us into
0: the process of preparation galatians 1 verse no he doesn't what are you talking about this galatians isn't about anything that you just said
2: he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. So he says, I didn't get this from a bunch of philosophers. Peter didn't teach me this. Matthew didn't teach me this. The guys who followed Jesus didn't teach me this. I got this straight from Jesus himself. Can I tell you today, God doesn't want you to have a revelation just from somebody else's revelation. God. Oh. Oh.
0: <laughs> I <laughs> I thought my uh, fortitude would be a little better than this today. Uh, maybe this is the end of the week blues. I don't Wow, that's bad. You have
2: a personal revelation of who he
0: is in the world of so many sermons
2: online and podcasts and YouTube. We can listen to everybody except for Jesus.
0: And what Yeah, Trust me, you're not teaching anything that Jesus would have us be teaching as pastors. You're utterly avoiding what the text actually says and the things you're saying. Galatians has nothing whatsoever to do with what you're talking about.
2: Wants to do, he says, Paul. I've got revelation that's fresh from me for you.
0: You don't have to pull it from TDJ. No, he was just pulling out the fact that the gospel that he preached, he didn't receive it from a man. What was the gospel that he preached? It's actually recorded for us in the cross reference. You can find this in First Corinthians 15 in the opening verses. First Corinthians 15 says, "Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. What did he receive? This gospel. This gospel. He received it from Christ Himself. And here it is. Ready." that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture, and he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. You you, you get the idea here? Um, So, yeah, what what Galatians says has nothing to do with what Paul Doherty is even talking about.
2: Even though he's an amazing preacher, you don't have to pull it from this person. I've got something that I want to download in you that's straight from me. God wants you to have a personal, real, authentic, genuine revelation. So he says, I didn't receive it from man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. He says, you've heard about my previous way of life. I love that Paul doesn't try to hide his past. He's like, hey, listen, let's talk about it. I used to be a bad guy. I was a terrorist. I tried to kill the church. I killed Christians for a living. That's what I did. And yet God still saw potential inside of me. Can I tell you?
0: No, no. God did not. I see potential in that guy. God had mercy on him. Hello, Those of you that are watching on the other
2: side of that screen, God sees potential in you when no one sees any potential at all. Uh,
0: This is a different gospel, by the way. This is a totally different. This is not Christianity. I don't know what this is. Wow. Talk about narcissism. But, I mean, what is this technique where you don't actually care about what's in the text? You just kind of read some kind of weird meta principle from it that and that's the thing you're preaching on when the world counts you out God counts you in whom the
2: world rejects God accepts and God says I've got a plan for your life I know your mind is a mess I know your past is a mess I know you've done some bad things but
0: I still have a plan for your life they're called sins and Jesus bled and died for them you
2: might have sinned right before you came to church today you might have sinned even in our building
0: god well this guy is sinning right now by twisting god's word so there you know you, there you have it still loves you he still has a plan for you he hasn't counted you out he wants the gospel is not god loves you and has a plan for your life that's a thing that came from the track the the four spiritual laws. That's not actually what scripture says. Use you for
2: his glory. Just like Paul was saying, listen, I had a bad past, but God, but God, everybody say, but God, right? So he has this, but God moment. But when God who set me apart from my mother's womb, you've been set apart since the day you were born. Even before you came into this earth, God set you apart. You might have done some bad things, And maybe some people did some bad things to you, but it has not discounted God's calling on your life. He said he called me by his grace. Now, hold on. I want to stay right there. He didn't call me because of my wealth. He didn't call me because of my good looks. He didn't call me because of my family, my connections. He didn't call me because I had the skills to do this or that. He called me simply by the unmerited favor of God. I couldn't achieve it. I could only receive it. God's calling on your life is not because you've been so good. So
0: notice it the grace is for a calling <laughs> that you're supposed to be receiving for your life, not the grace that forgives you of your sins. Unbelievable. So, yeah, I, I think you get the point. I mean, he's not actually exegeting the text. He's kind of ripping things out of it and forcing the text – into kind of like a narcissistic wood chipper. So, it doesn't really matter what it says. He he just wants to grind it up so he can he can talk about what he wants to talk about, but the things he's discussing are not at all what the point that Paul's making is. It's like Unbelievable. So uh, talk about blindness and a delusion. But, yeah, again, this is the same technique I saw Robert Medu do yesterday and uh, just wanted to highlight it in uh, our number one today. All right. So we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is... Talk back at TalkBackAtFightingForTheFaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, Higher Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we will be listening to Levi Lusco and the, the worst sermon filler I've ever heard. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back.
3: If you're a weather warrior, it's time to lay down your weapons. You're listening to Fighting For The Faith. You're
4: listening to Pirate Christian Radio.
0: We'll be taking your false doctrine now.
5: <laughs>
4: Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater presents. Guess what everyone I'm back <laughs> Rex Quando here and now we're going to have a revised intro brought to you by your very own Rex Quando ding <laughs> Alright, people, listen up. It's time for your training to begin. Um, Mr. Kwando, sir? Please refrain from asking any questions until the instruction is concluded. Today's lessons include two separate training courses. The first being how to walk on water, and the second, how to walk through walls. This curriculum is from Bethel Church, so it was obviously very expensive. Hence the $400 surcharge, I I mean seed offering, (laughs) that all nine of you so generously provided. Uh, the brochure I received said something about breaking both my legs if I didn't pay. That must have been a minor clerical error. Anyway, if all of you would kindly follow me, we can begin the first lesson. Gentlemen, what you see before you is an Olympic-sized pool that will provide the perfect training ground for your first lesson. I absolutely forbid any recording of these lessons for copyright reasons. (laughs) We also can't have this highly sensitive information falling into the wrong hands, understand? (laughs) First things first, in order to successfully walk across the pool, you must build up your faith inside yourself and believe just Hard enough.
2: Can you give us a demonstration?
4: What did I tell you about questions? I can't show you today because I did it for a class yesterday. It's kind of a once-a-week type of deal. You, you can't overuse things like this. For the purposes of today's lesson, I've added a little extra motivation. <laughs> if you look very carefully across the pool, you will see a tank filled with piranhas. With a simple pull of this cord... The piranhas have now been released into the pool. For our first victim, I mean volunteer, I choose... Mouth over there to be our first demonstrator. Oh, jeez. Now, just step up to the edge. That's it. Now, build up your faith inside yourself and believe. Believe. Do you feel like you're believing enough?
2: I am. Uh, think so.
4: Good. Now go! <laughs> Seat. You weren't believing hard enough Believe harder Harder Ugh, you're no Okay, who's next? Approximately two hours later Okay, you lot are clearly not getting the hang of it Time to move on to lesson two. Why does it smell so terrible in here? Okay, boys, welcome to lesson number two, walking through walls. Your task is to build up enough faith within yourself, run directly at the wall in front of you, and pass through. To give you the proper motivation, I've made things slightly more interesting by locking you all inside of that trash compactor.
3: Trash compactor?
4: I have complete faith in you men. Good luck. (laughs) Ugh, and they had such potential. Oh, wow, is that the time? I'm almost late for my next class.
5: This is Dr. Curtis Lyons, yeah, you, listening to this program right now. Have you ever found yourself wishing there
4: was more Fighting for the Faith content that you could listen to and share with your friends? Well, you're in luck, because we now at Pirate Christian Media have a YouTube channel that we upload content to on a weekly basis. We got programs like Twistbusters. You Don't Have to Be a Cessationist, Messed Up Church, exclusive Skype interviews, Pirate Gang Conversations, and our most popular segment, dumpster fire so if you're looking for some extra pirate christian media goodness in your life head on over to youtube and search for fighting for the faith and subscribe
0: Listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that Galatians has nothing about to do at all about some process that you have to go through before you're promoted. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring fighting for the faith to into the world and you can partner with us it is a partnership visit our website fightingforthefaith.com when you get there you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons one says donate the other says join our crew the other says become a patron when you join our crew you get to pick your rank in our crew and rank is based on your monthly commitment lowest rank is powder monkey at nine dollars ninety five cents a month after that gunner's made at 24.95 a month from there Master gunner at forty nine ninety five a month and then quartermaster at ninety nine ninety five a month joining our crew is a great way to support us. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, click on the Donate button. If you'd like to become a patron via Patreon, click on the Become a Patron button. And, of course, if you would like to support us the traditional way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here. Without it. All right, we're going to head over to Fresh Life Church over there in Montana and listen to Levi Lusco. And for this installment, I'm going to go ahead and use this update music. Here we go. Down at an English fair, one evening I was there, when I heard a showman shouting underneath underneath the flare. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts There they are, standing in a row Big one, small one, some as big as your head Give them a twist, a flick of the wrist, that's what the showman said I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts Every ball you throw will make me rich There stands me wife, the idol of me life Singing roll-a-bowl-a-ball, a ball a penny a pitch Sing and roll
4: a bowl a bowl a penny a bitch. Sing in roll a bowl a bowl a penny a bitch. Roll a bowl a bowl, roller bowl a
0: ball. sing in roll a bowl a bowl a penny a pitch. Yeah, that's right. I got a lovely bunch of coconuts. All right, so we're heading over to Fresh Life Church and uh, this is Levi Lesco from his Life is a Highway sermon series. The name of the sermon is Rumble Strip and the best way I can describe what it is that you are about to hear is well the worst sermon filler ever. <laughs> I've <laughs> he doesn't just go diving into his biblical text at all. This one is just bizarre and is of course filled with all kinds of you know weird references to Walt Disney and carbon monoxide detectors and It's more like a community service motivational pep talk, but it's nothing like a sermon. Here's uh, Levi Lusko in Rumble Strip. Here we go.
6: I have four daughters and one son. And that's the surprise ending to our story, uh, four daughters and one son. We, we thought four daughters, and, and then we we're going to be grandkids eventually. Uh, but God gave us this surprise little gift, uh, in the fourth quarter named Lennox Alexander, who's awesome. And we're thankful for him and we're thankful for our daughters as well. But because I have all these children, because Jen and I have so many little people running around, I, I love I, some comedian somewhere. He said that having little kids is like drunk midgets, just running around all the time. It's, <laughs> it is so true.
0: um, so, uh, basically, because there's these little kids... weird thing is that, you know, all the good sermons that I hear, the pastor will begin with the actual biblical text. Yeah, so, you know, there's a technique here to exegesis. And the, the way the technique goes is it begins with, let's look at and read the text that we are going to be considering today or what uh, while I'll be preaching on and so, you know, in you know the the church that I serve, uh the uh, the readings are done prior to the sermon hymn. So, uh the, so the 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 word, you know, the the words of God themselves. So, you know, you have your first reading, second reading and your gospel text, usually three different readings. And the first reading oftentimes is an Old Testament text, but not always. Uh so, you know, it, we've been in the Easter season, which is uh, far more than just one Sunday, and uh, and so you know the first readings have been from like the Book of Acts this year, so we're on a three year uh, cycle here, and uh, but uh, so the the f- readings are done before the sermon hymn. So, first reading, uh, Book of Acts chapter eight verses whatever to whatever. Second reading from First John. Third reading from the Gospels, uh, from a Gospel like the Gospel of John fifteen or something like that, and. And then sermon him. And then when I get to the pulpit, we've already looked at the biblical text, and I will either work through one of them or weave together some or all of them. Yeah, you know, it's, and the idea is, is that we're letting the biblical text be in the driver's seat, not the pastor. So I don't know what Levi Lusco is doing here um, because, you know, he's decided to preach about himself. And I think this is the uh, the uh, mandatory stand up comedy routine slash motivational pep talk filler portion of the seeker driven sermons. Now, everywhere
6: uh, we watch a lot of Disney movies, and you know, part of me wants to like say that, like, oh, you know. But the truth is, I love Disney movies. I, I, I I'm not at all begrudging when one of them's like, hey, let's throw on Pocahontas. I'm like, let's do it. I've never seen a Wolf Cry to the Blue Corn Moon. I never have, and I love to. So put that put that on. And uh, we will watch that little raccoon try and wash his hands in the waterfall. We will see it. And I haven't watched Falconous in a while, but uh, that's that's what sticks out to me. (laughs) And I love I love all things Disney. Actually, I love the whole kind of thing. I love the Magic Kingdom. You have to respect and tip your hat to somebody who rolls up to California from Kansas City on a train with forty dollars and conquers the world. Hello. Right. Once he got Mortimer from being a rat to becoming a mouse named Mickey, because that's how Mickey started as a as a rat named Mortimer. And once he got that tiny, it might be a tiny tweak that takes you to big peaks of destiny. It,
0: it, Notice what he just did there. Yeah. So the uh, the changing of you know, of Mortimer the rat into Mickey Mouse. Oh, man, there's a, there's a salient point here that God's trying to get through to you, man. Yeah, it is, it's just some tweak that needs to be necessary for you to have your, your density thingy. <sighs> Nonsense. This is not biblical teaching, by the way. I don't know what this is. Again, this is some of the worst filler I've ever seen, and it's like Levi Lusco has become low energy when it comes to actually getting around to rightly handling or even attempting exegeting a biblical text
6: not be that you're wrong it may just be you need to shift something it may be it may not be that your business idea needs to be thrown out maybe just altered it could still be a rodent just nobody likes a rat you see what i'm saying and mortimer no mickey once it mickey mouse mortimer rat right so everything changed and
0: and, of course, he's taking... Oh, man, I mean, my life will never be the same after hearing Levi Lusco preach about that.
6: Well, the first feature-length film was uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And Walt barely got this thing financed. I mean, $1.5 million. It was bootstrapped, too. I mean, they barely got to the finish line, got this thing done, paying all their bills. Now, of course, we live in a day of computers, so it's difficult to think about the fact that when Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs was made, it was drawn by hand. Every picture in the film drawn by hand and then painted by hand. Ain't nobody got time for that. But they got it done, and it was it was it was very much uh like disbelieved that this was going to be awesome that anyone was going to go see it. well, it turns out in its original release it did almost eight million dollars and, and so what
0: now another kind of sermonic note here, and that is is that you know there's nothing wrong with you know, using an illustration from a book or a story or even a movie if the illustration is being used in a way to help somebody properly understand a biblical text. And so, you know, the the sermon illustrations are designed on purpose, that's their purpose, to help you really, oh, that's what that text means, but this isn't even a sermon illustration. I, didn't, you know, because I, I'm not learning nothing about God's word at all. In fact, God's word has yet to make an appearance here in this sermon. Um, but I'm, he's making these so supposed spiritual connections from these things that he's talking about. Yeah,
6: and and for a, a few years it was the the
0: the highest
6: grossing picture with sound of all time. So that's the era we're talking about. Uh, until it was, it, was, it was knocked off that ledge by Gone with the Wind. So this is the era. It held the distinction that Gone with the Wind would...
0: Frankly, Levi, Levi I don't... Yeah, you get the point.
6: ...would take and hold for for some time. Uh, it's, it's today, looking back, grossed $184 million. And, of course, it's just an iconoclastic film. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. I mean... The Academy of Motion Pictures, when they recognized this film, they chose to depart from the normal gold man statue and give uh, to Walt uh, one large statue and seven small ones, right? This is so cute. That's the cutest thing you've ever heard. But what's...
0: Right, yeah, again, my life will never be the same now.
6: Particularly touching to me about uh, what Walt did once he won, once there was a proof of concept, you made it, great, was that he immediately... Pushed all the success of that project into the next one, into the next one, into the next one. And now let's think Bambi. And now let's push the borders. Now Fantasia. Now this, now this, now this. He didn't rest on his laurels. He didn't celebrate and cash in. You want to know why?
0: I- so Walt Disney is like the exemplar here of apparently what Christianity and the sanctified life is supposed to look like. Yeah, you, you, see when I read scripture I read about holiness or um you know the fruit of the spirit love joy peace patience kindness gentleness self control you know things like that um this you know um ambition risking it all you know that's the, the this this is a different sanctification this doesn't even sound remotely like christian sanctification was walt disney even a true believer in jesus christ why is he being held up as an example that i need to follow as a christian
6: down in life if you don't reinvest your miracles you will reach the end of them
0: oh boy okay i'm gonna back that up just a smidge because we need to hear just how awful that was in context
6: and now let's make Bambi. And now let's push the borders. Now Fantasia. Now this, now this, now this. He didn't rest on his laurels. He didn't celebrate and cash in. You want to know why? I found in life, if you don't reinvest your miracles, you will reach the end of them.
0: Oh, brother. See, Walt Disney, the the, he's the, he's the quintessential example of a man who reinvested his miracles. Which biblical text teaches me to reinvest my miracles, and what does that phrase even mean? And that's uh, maybe a word for somebody today. There's something great. No, it's not. It's not from God. You didn't receive that via download. That's not in the Bible. This is just awful filler and you need to push
6: it forward. God bless you. You need to bless somebody else. You need to pay it forward. You need to step out in faith again. If you're always talking about the great old days and what happened way back when, maybe it's time you dust off your hands and get back in the game and do something again.
0: Yeah, like Levi Lesko needs to get back in the game and actually get back to exegeting and uh, staying away from this nonsense.
6: And that's just so... in. Inseparably entwined to our calling and conviction here at Fresh Life Church, that we just perpetually value this this dream and idea of risking the ocean, and that's you
0: risk the ocean. Yeah, I don't own the ocean, and uh, this is kind of awkward. I, I I live in North Dakota. Yeah, the, uh, I'm. There's no oceans close to me that I can risk. So um closest body of water would actually be the Red River, and it flows north. Yeah, you betcha. So uh, do you want me to risk the Red River?
6: It's like man what is enough enough this campus in 12 locations and the tv broadcast and my gosh did you finish one building thing is it paid for it barely and and now another one and trying to do this and uh, i read in the newspaper that well you know what tell, i'm just telling you time is short and lives are precious and jesus is coming we got work to do we got
0: yeah if you're so concerned about time being short and precious and you got work to do why aren't you doing it I mean, why are you dragging your feet and filling these people's heads with nonsense? Like, well, we got to reinvest our miracles, you know, because Walt Disney. (laughs) Time is short indeed, Levi, and you're burning it up rather quickly here
6: dreams in our heart we're gonna do something i'm just telling you we're gonna fail trying and we're gonna maybe we'll die trying but we're gonna step out
0: in faith so help me and watch god if you were stepping out in faith you'd actually be have a biblical text open by now and in faith believe that god's word is living and active and preach it and exegete into it and, and, and you know work it properly and properly divide it and find jesus in it and proclaim him to them You're not doing that. You're not stepping out in faith. You're literally on the sidelines.
6: Move in power in our day. And we know that the muscles of faith atrophy
0: due to misuse. Yeah, his muscles have got to be down to nothing.
6: If you're going to lie there in your bed and not move, you'll get bed sores and your muscles will shrivel. And soon your your, your imagination and dreams will die. Oh, no! No! My
0: imaginations and dreams are going to die.
6: Ah! What am I going to do about that? You'll begin to be jaded and skeptical of anybody who steps out in faith. Be-
0: <laughs> he, he uses what's called a bullpen, by the way. That's what that's called. The people in the front row who are going, ooh, ah, wow. Yeah, they volunteer to do that.
6: Once you've given up on your dreams, you'll always become critical on those of, of those who cling on to theirs. Who cling to theirs, and so I love that about Walt. But for one thing that I've, I've read uh, in a few of the biographies that just touched me when uh, when
0: I so he's read f- several Walt Disney biographies, and there's a story that he's seen in several of the biographies, and they touched him. So be prepared to be touched as well by a touching story from the life of Walt Disney.
6: Across it was that he did take a small portion of the success of that day and bought his mom and his dad a home wouldn't you love to do that? Wouldn't you love at some point to be able to say, hey, Mom, Dad, you took care of me. Let me just take care of you now in some way, large or small, a gesture to say, hey, here's a, here's a home. And of course, you know, we're not all Walt Disney, so we, we can't all say, hey, Flora, hey, uh, Elias, uh, move on down from Portland, Oregon. Shout out, Portland love. Uh, move on down from Portland to North Hollywood where I live. I want you near me. I'm going to go ahead and buy you a house. I love that, that Walt did that. What a touching gesture, thinking of mom, thinking of dad. And so he did. Um, not too long after they moved in, Flora called Walt at the studio complaining of a smell of uh, a funny odor, and she couldn't place. And so Walt sent a few studio handymen down to the, to the house and, and said, uh, figure out what the deal is, and they, they identified it as coming from the furnace, which had just been misinstalled, but they said incorrectly. So they tinkered with it for a little bit and, and came back reporting they had fixed the problem. And tragically, the next morning, the maid, while cooking breakfast, uh, went into the bedroom where Flora and Walt's father, Elias, were sleeping to find them both nonresponsive. And she began to feel dizzy herself. So going outside, she, she was able to get a couple breaths and clear her head momentarily long enough to come back in and drag them both out to the front lawn, where, of course, when they uh, dispatched rescuers, they did everything they could. But tragically, Walt's mother died. And Walt's father was hospitalized and, 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 and hurt by this, and as was the, the maid. Now, they are, are not alone in what happened to them that day. As currently in America, 430 people per year in this country, 430 a year die of uh, carbon monoxide poisoning. And like Walt's father and the maid, upwards of 20,000 Americans every single Year end up in the hospital, end up in emergency rooms because of uh, this this silent killer. Now, what's so appalling to me about that isn't that it happened back then. That's far more understandable because the year was 1939. But to think of it still happening today is...
0: This is now a public service announcement... Have you installed a carbon monoxide detection device in your home? Yeah. um, (laughs) This is... What is this? Almost
6: unthinkable and so unnecessarily tragic because in the 1990s, someone invented a carbon monoxide detector. For $20 at Walmart, the home that your children sleep in, the shop where you work in, the garage where you fix cars in can have a tiny little plastic device made in China that can tell you if there's the silent killer, which most people say they can't smell when, do- when testing is done, cannot smell carbon monoxide at all, and it will give you a very clear message that there is the presence of this dangerous thing in the air, and it'll let you... Okay, yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, we know. We're awake now. Okay, we got it. Okay, that's the illustration. No, thank you. All right, so just to think about that we would still... I'll take it from here. Okay, so, so it's so unnecessarily tragic for anybody today in a day where the technology does exist and is cheaply, readily available for us.
0: You are aware... That there are people in Montana who are going to hell, right? And you're... I'm, I'm not making this up. He is 10 minutes into this sermon. 10 minutes. We have heard about Walt Disney. We've heard about Snow White. We've heard about Bambi. We've heard about Walt Disney's mother who died of carbon monoxide poisoning. Uh, her, her husband, you know, her, Walt Disney's father, who was hospitalized, and the maid. We have heard a public service announcement about getting carbon monoxide detection devices. Which, by the way, for the last two decades, I've heard public service announcements about the importance of having a par- carbon monoxide detector in my home. You know, on radio, on television, like on the internet. I've seen all kinds of, you know, do you have a carbon monoxide detection device in your house? It's the silent killer. No, you know, I've I've seen these things. I don't go to church to get public service announcements that I could get while watching television or the radio. In fact, the church is not the building the church is the people the church is the congregation the the ecclesia the called out ones they gather together to hear the word of god to participate in the lord's supper to have well to baptize people and things of that nature in fact when you look at the book of acts the hallmark of the church as listed in acts chapter 2 the early converts of christianity they dedicated themselves to the apostles preaching, or, or you can say the apostles teaching or doctrine, the breaking of bread, the fellowship, and the prayers. Mm-hmm. I, I'm seeing none of those things as I'm watching this YouTube video of uh, Levi Lusco, you know, waxing eloquent about Walt Disney and the need for a carbon monoxide detector, <laughs> and uh, this is ten minutes of this for a careful and skilled exegete i mean 10 minutes you are well on to point number two at this point and you've worked your way through a text we aren't even to biblical point number one because levi lesko hasn't even read a biblical text to have in our
6: lives uh to tell us when there is danger That is nearby. The the point is, and kind of the big idea that we're going to be camped out on for a few weeks here as a community is this the best kind of protection is early detection. Come on, the best kind of protection you can have isn't, well, if I get hurt, if something bad happens, they'll take me to the hospital. That's not the best kind of protection. Prevention is always preferable to cure
0: so are you going to be preaching the importance of getting colonoscopies and mammograms from the pulpit or the stage? He doesn't really even have a pulpit. It's a stage. The yeah. All right. So I think you get the idea. Like I said, that is probably one of the worst stretches of sermonic filler I have ever heard. Now, he does eventually get to a biblical text. But even that, it's low energy as far as like exegeting it and pointing people to Jesus. I mean that. I think you get the point. So what do you make of that? I, I just think that's a complete waste of time. You're you're. It's, and if as as a pastor, you're not like chomping at the bit to dig into God's word, then what are you doing? being in front of people, either on the stage or in the pulpit. I mean, seriously, if you don't want to exegete God's word, go find a job that will really get your juices flowing. There's no shame in saying, you know, listen, you know, this pastor thing, it ain't, it ain't doing it for me anymore. I, I don't like exegeting biblical text and pointing people to Jesus. I would rather be a dentist or go to work for Walt Disney Studios, do it, go for it, whatever turns your crank. If you are not excited about bringing the word of God and really teaching it, get out of the pulpit. You have no business being there at all if this is not what you want to be doing. Yeah, I I think you get the point. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is TomBack at FightingForTheFaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook facebook.com forward slash PyroChristian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at PyroChristian. When we come back, we're going to end the week off with a couple of really good sermons, stark contrast to what we heard. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back.
5: Sissy Religiosity Won't Save You. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian
0: Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? <laughs> Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some. <laughs> <laughs> for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today.
4: Hey, everyone. It's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society, and it's, it's coffee milk. Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to Gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out.
0: the week off, just compare what you heard from Paul Daugherty and Levi Lesko to what you're going to hear now. Big difference. The difference of night and day, truth versus error. That's how big it is. But let's do this right. Ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're, we're an eagle opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermons come to us. First from Calvary Lutheran Church, Elgin, Illinois, Pastor Mark Bestuel, and his sermon on Luke 24, 36 through 49, titled Peace to You. And the second sermon from Pope Lutheran Church, Aurora, Colorado, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, presiding. The name of the sermon, Peace and Forgiveness, based upon the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. We will go ahead and read the texts ahead of time, because that's what happens in each of these churches. The texts are read as part of the service and then exegeted in the sermon. Yeah, it's a good practice, by the way. So let me go ahead and back off on the music, and here's the first text, Luke 24, verses 36 through 49, which reads, As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a ghost or a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have." Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is the gospel text that forms the basis of our first sermon, titled, peace to you. Here is Pastor Mark Bestial.
3: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text from the Gospel reading, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you, your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's rare that on consecutive Sundays our Scripture readings focus on the same event, but that's what we have again this morning. Last week, we considered Jesus' appearance to the disciples in the upper room according to John's account. This morning, we consider the same event, the same evening of the resurrection, that evening of the first day of the week. But this time, we it according to Luke's account. And so naturally, we desire to compare and contrast The details of the two accounts, and by comparing and contrasting, we can, if you will, learn at least some of the Holy Spirit's intent in providing the two accounts. First, let's learn from the contrasting details. Luke's account is historically much earlier than John's. Luke's is written perhaps 25 years after the resurrection, and it's written as a detailed historical account. And so we hear in Luke's account this morning much of the visual evidence of the resurrection. Jesus appears to the disciples and speaks to them. He shows them his hands and his side, his feet. He he proves he is no ghost by eating in front of them a piece of broiled fish. He explains to them the scriptures and how they all point forward to what the disciples now see before them. All this emphasis on the eyewitness evidence of the resurrection. John's account comes much later in history, about 90 AD, some 60 years after the resurrection. It's written not among the first generation of Christians, but it's written to the second generation and all subsequent generations because the first generation has or is passing away. John is the last of the apostles. It's written to that second generation that was not yet born at the time of the events of the resurrection. John knows all generations have the testimony of Luke and also of Matthew and Mark. And so his report need not focus on the details of the evidence. But his report focuses on comforting all who, like their spiritual twin Thomas, may doubt because they did not themselves get to see Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe, John remembers and reports Jesus saying. And John himself multiple times expresses in his gospel, I have seen it. I am writing to you that you too may believe. John writes to explain the theology of the Christ. Luke writes to report the events of the Christ. And therefore the differences in their records. Now let's consider Luke's account in a bit more depth because the details themselves inform our hearts. But they also lead us to that which Luke and John both knew the Holy Spirit to be seeing as the chief issue at hand on the night of the resurrection. Luke's account begins, As they were talking about these things, that is to say, the disciples to whom Jesus had appeared on the road to Emmaus, So if they recognized Him in the breaking of the bread, they have now gotten to the upper room. They're now explaining what they saw, what happened. They're now there to give their report. It's as they're uh, relaying the news to the eleven that Jesus comes and says, Peace to you. This is consistent with John's Gospel. And how gloriously comforting it is that Jesus arrives and says, Peace be with you. The first public communication Between God and man after the resurrection is a message of peace and fellowship between God and man. Jesus, a few nights earlier in the upper room, had prayed to the Father that the disciples and the church would have fellowship with Him and the Father. And now that fellowship is being proclaimed. Just as last Sunday's reading from John's epistle reminded us, remember it said, Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. But Jesus sees not the light of fellowship, but the darkness of doubt in the disciples' hearts. And He gently confronts them about it. He asks, Why are you troubled? Does that ring a bell? Just three nights earlier, Jesus had encouraged them in that upper room, let not your hearts be troubled. And yet now, just three days later, here they are with troubled hearts. Why are your hearts troubled? As if to say, don't you recall that I told you all of this just a few days ago? The same Christ reading the same hearts of the same fearful disciples. And as he read their hearts, why do doubts arise in your hearts? Literally from the Greek, why is there dialoguing arising in your hearts? The crucifixion and resurrection can do that to us, can't it? It causes dialoguing in our hearts. So that we sinners, our heart says to itself over and over again, could it be true? What if it's not true? What if it is true? What does that mean about who is Lord over me and over my life? What does it mean for eternal standing before the judgment seat of God? What does it mean for daily life in a fallen world? Luke's recording of these words of the dialoguing hearts is not coincidental. At the beginning of his gospel, he recorded Simeon. Remember Simeon in the temple? Speaking of the Christ child he now beheld, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many and for a sign that is opposed, namely the cross and the empty tomb. So that, Simeon says, thoughts, and in the Greek, dialogues from many hearts may be revealed. And now on the very night of the resurrection, that prophecy is first fulfilled. (laughs) as it will be fulfilled in every soul of every generation to come. Your heart is revealed to your crucified and risen Lord. He knows the dialoguing in it. He knows the doubts within. And He says to you, why are you troubled? Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. In short, trust Me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Whoever trusts me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives will never die into the eternal age. Now, all of that, to be honest, is quite weighty stuff. And its heaviness could consume us in our inability to digest the magnitude of the divine events of our salvation and the consequences that has on our salvation. And so Jesus refocuses us and the disciples on the truth that it happened. He says, see my hands and my feet, that it is I my son. Notice again, just as we heard last week, that Jesus knows the value of eyewitness testimony. And he shows them the evidence of the crucifixion. There in his hands and his feet and his side, the risen Lord Jesus will always bear and will never forget that your salvation has been purchased. It is finished. Fear not. Let not your hearts be troubled. Nothing need be added to his work. But Jesus also, in comforting them, also says something more than cold, hard facts of evidence. He adds intimacy. Intimacy. He says, it is I myself. Sometimes in the Gospels, when the English reports Jesus saying, I am he, or it is I, however it records it in your in your English versions, he's actually using the great phrase, the Egoi me, the I am. That I am that was used as God's identity at the burning bush, and that causes all hearts to tremble. In fact, it was that same I am that caused Jesus arresting guards in Gethsemane to fall back. And they said, we are looking for Jesus. And he said, I am. But here he says something different. He says, it's I myself. There's an intimacy to it, not an authority, an intimacy to it. He says, guys, it's me. Don't be afraid, it's me. The disciples disbelieve for joy and amazement. We ought not condemn them. They're simply stunned. And after all, faith does not come by their own decision of the facts, but by the work of the Holy Spirit. But this also should instruct us about the character of faith. What are you looking for in faith? What do you think faith means? Faith is not about being floored with amazement all the time. How often people want to be amazed, excited, euphoric. And that's supposedly faith. But the disciples were all of that. But they still disbelieved. Faith meditates upon the Word of God. It digests it. It dwells in it. It abides in it. Abide in My Word and you will be My disciples, Jesus had said. And as faith abides as it dwells in and digests the Word of God, and as faith is taught by Christ how all things of the Scripture so intimately and intricately point to Him and to your salvation in Him, then faith has reason to be amazed, excited, euphoric. Isn't this what we see in our text? These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. And beginning with Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Faith is informed by nothing more and nothing other than the teaching of Christ. Not coincidentally, earlier in Luke's Gospel, we hear multiple times that even as Jesus taught them, Luke reports, these things were kept from them. Because Jesus' mission had not yet been fulfilled. Even in the upper room, Jesus had told them, I have more to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. You might say, until the cross, it's all fragmentary. Clues and insights which need a decoder as the crucified and risen Jesus who is that decoder. And yet he decodes not by pointing anywhere else but the scriptures and his own words as having and bearing the weight of scripture. He says, these are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. And again, thus it is written. Friends, Christ is always pointing us to the scriptures. For therein he proclaims to you the certainty of the atonement for your sins. And therefore your victory over the grave. Now, there's one little phrase that informs the rest of our meditation. Jesus says, these are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. In other words, everything changes with the crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord. The old covenant is fulfilled. God's wrath is stayed and atonement is made. It is finished. And the new and everlasting covenant of relationship between God and his church is now begun. So that Jesus can bestow the blessings to us. This is the cup of the new covenant for you. For the forgiveness of your sins. And because the blessings of the new covenant are now sealed. Purchased, won by Christ. So that nothing else need be done to earn them. Then they are to be bestowed upon us. This leads to where John and Luke. Now are quite synonymous in their report. We heard at the beginning of the sermon where they focused on differing details. Now, now they focus on the same. And here it is. Luke records Jesus say, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Remember from last week, John records the same. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of anyone, they are retained. Both John and Luke report Jesus' intent to freely administer to you the cross's benefits. Do not hear in these words that Jesus is saying that repentance and forgiveness of sins is the next step of a not yet completed salvation. That's not the point. Earlier in Luke's gospel, we hear Jesus say it this way it is necessary for the Christ to suffer and die and after three days rise again. Period. There's no, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed. It's not there earlier when Christ teaches the disciples that he must accomplish these things. But now that the Christ has accomplished it all, now, Jesus says, it's time to bestow the gifts. Repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be bestowed upon all nations. The same all nations you hear in Matthew 28 go make disciples of all nations. By teaching them, baptizing them. The same all nations as when Peter preaches, This gift is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. The gifts and the benefits of the cross come to you, friends. By the preaching of repentance and forgiveness. No other way. Yes, even when your pastor calls you to repent, even when your loved one says you need to repent, but when that preaching office calls you to repent, the pastor has in mind the bestowal of the cross's benefits. And so is it somehow authoritarian pulpit-pounding to now say, peace to you, and therefore repent For Christ shares the benefits of the cross with the penitent. Friends, what good does it do to not repent of sins? To take lightly participation in repentance and the forgiveness of sins? Where is our fellowship with the light if we are determined to try and benefit from darkness? Or if we are to pretend that we are in the light when we know we are in the darkness? What use is there in being stubborn toward God, defiant in our hearts, too proud to repent to one another? Do we really think that we can fool the same God who asks, why are your hearts troubled? And why do they dialogue within themselves? If He knows that about us, can we really hide our sins from Him? Do you really think that if we don't repent, if we simply ignore our sin, The neighbors whom we've harmed won't actually be harmed, but will ignore the pain our sin has caused them. Do we really think we can represent ourselves before the judgment seat of God and say, I don't need to repent. I'm righteous. Christ died for all, but he didn't have to die for me. At least not regarding that thing that I've justified in my own mind. Friends, God calls you to repent so that you may be honest with yourself, with your neighbor, and with him. And in such, he then freely forgives you. And he says, that sin was paid for by Christ, who atoned for it on the cross, so that you now may have fellowship with him and with me and with one another. I forgive you your sins. The new covenant played out in real time. And so by Luke's eyewitness testimony and through John's reassurance for all doubting twins of Thomas, we have certainty of the promises having now been brought to pass. Christ is risen. So that the penitent may cling to all those things that depended upon the merits of Christ's atonement. You may rejoice in your baptism, run to absolution, share in the fellowship of the supper, and hear Christ greet you anew. Peace to you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
0: Amen. Amen. Sermon number two is based on the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31, which reads, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, "...put your finger here, see my hands, put out your hand and place it in my side, do not disbelieve, but believe." Thomas answered him, "...my Lord and my God." And Jesus said to him, "...have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed." Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. This is the text that forms the basis of the next sermon. Here is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller and his sermon on this text titled Peace and Forgiveness.
1: Christ is risen. He has risen indeed. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Dear saints, last week we heard the preaching of the empty tomb. This week we hear the preaching of Jesus. First on Easter Sunday, and then the Sunday after. His two appearances, to the disciples
5: gathered together. And this is what the preaching of Jesus sounds like for us. He says to his disciples, Peace. Peace. Peace be with you. Now, this is stunning and not at all apparent
1: that this is going to be what Jesus says. Jesus could have risen from the dead and he could have come back mad.
5: He could have shown up angry. Where were you guys? Why didn't you do anything to stop it? He could have come back angry
1: because it was, after all, we remember, his sins Our sins
5: that caused his suffering. Our sins that put him on the cross. He could have appeared with vengeance. But he does not. He appears to his disciples with this blessed word, peace. Let my kindness and my love and my mercy be manifest to you.
1: Because all of my suffering,
5: all of my pain, all of the bleeding, all of my death and burial, all of it is for you. Now these appearances and this preaching of Jesus works out in quite a dramatic
1: fashion because uh, John lets us know that, that while uh, all of the disciples were gathered, uh, they were gathered minus two. That of the twelve, there were the ten. Judas had committed suicide, murdered himself by hanging himself on a tree in despair. But there was another that was missing from the room. Thomas wasn't there on that first Easter night when Jesus appeared to them. Now, I've been thinking about this and trying to sort this out, and it's sort of an amazing thing. The text tells us that the ten were there, and they, they didn't want to leave the room because they were afraid. Even the women came back from the tomb, With the report of the angel, which said, tell my disciples to go to Galilee and meet me there, where I said I would, or meet Jesus there, where he said he would meet him. And instead of going to Galilee, they don't even leave the the house. They don't leave the room. The door is locked. Even a week later, the door is locked, it says, for fear. All of them are bound up in fear. All of them, except for one, Thomas, who's out. We don't know what he's doing where he's going, who he's visiting, if he's at the grocery store or if he's going to get news or whatever, but while all the ten were afraid that they were going to be dragged uh, to, before Pontius Pilate or dragged before the Sanhedrin and, and crucified like Jesus was because they were his followers, while they're all locked up for fear, Thomas is not. Thomas is the only one who's bold enough to leave the room. And we know this about Thomas, right? Right? I mean, remember when when Jesus was up in Galilee and he says, we got to go down because Lazarus has died. And I'm going to go and raise him from the dead. And the other disciples say, Lord, when we were in Jerusalem last time, they were trying to kill you. And Jesus says, it's time to go. And Thomas says, let's go with him and we can all die with him. And so Thomas is the one who convinces the other disciples, in fact, to go with Jesus down to Jerusalem for the raising of ...of Lazarus and then all of the things that follow. Thomas had this great boldness and it's manifest by him not being in the room.
5: So imagine Thomas, as he looks at the other ten, shaking his head because of their fear... ...shaking his head at their doubt... ...looking down on them as he leaves the
1: the room, the only one who has this courage to leave as he comes back to the room, maybe to report the news that he found or to say what he saw or to bring the the news from the Sanhedrin or whatever, imagine Thomas coming back into the room and the
5: disciples saying, Thomas, Jesus was just here. Jesus appeared to us. He showed us his hands and his and his feet, and his side, and he said, peace, and he breathed on
1: us, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit, and whoever sins you forgive are forgiven, and whoever sins you bind,
5: they're bound. He came and appeared to us. Now imagine Thomas, who would have to say at that moment, I can't believe it. you guys? He appeared to you, who are too afraid to leave the room? He appeared
1: with you who barely wanted to come to Jerusalem, who were afraid to die. And here I am. Look, I'm I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to die. I'm not afraid to die for Jesus, and he appears to you and not to me unless
5: I see the hands and see the feet and put my hand into his side. I'm not going to believe it. John doesn't tell us how that week went. As all 11 disciples are locked in the room together, I imagine it wasn't a particularly comfortable week for those 11 men.
1: I mean, I imagine that night it started with Peter and the others saying, Thomas, look, it really did happen. We know you're upset that you weren't here, but it happened. We saw him. And Thomas continues in his unbelief, I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to believe it. And and their arguments would have maybe become angry, become sympathetic, until finally they're not talking about it at all. The ten are, are over here rejoicing that they know that Jesus is alive, and Thomas is there in the corner, and they're looking at each other. They trust each other. They love each other. But Thomas is refusing to listen to them. I can't imagine how Thomas was. Are they, are they messing with me? Why is this? I, I simply can't believe that Jesus would have appeared to those ten without me in the room. That he waited until I left and then he left before I got back. I just can't believe that Jesus would do that to me. I believe those guys, but I can't believe that that's how Jesus would have acted. And he's torn apart by it. Can you see it? Until the next Sunday. That would be this Sunday, the
5: week after Easter. And they're all there in this mix. And Jesus shows up again. Now this is an incredible blessing, not only for Thomas, but also for us. Jesus appears the week later, and he preaches the same sermon, peace, peace be with you, and then he turns to Thomas and preaches to him, Thomas. Don't be unbelieving, but believing. Look, here are my hands," he says. "Here's my side." Jesus is like a—he's uh, like the
1: guys that have come back from war, and he's showing off his scars. <laughs> look at the side here. Look. Put your. Ha- In fact, Jesus says uses the same words that Thomas uses. Unless I put my hand, unless I throw my hand, thrust my hand into his side. I'm not going to believe it. And so Jesus comes to him and says, "Throw your
5: hand in here. Don't doubt. Believe." And out of Thomas's mouth comes perhaps the greatest confession of who Jesus is in all of the Bible. He says, "My Lord and my God." Now, one more piece of
1: drama. There, Because then Jesus has a small rebuke, really it's more of a blessing for us, but a small rebuke for Thomas when he says, You believed because you
5: saw, but blessed are those who believe and have not seen. You knew better, Thomas. You should have trusted Peter and
1: James and John and the other ten. You should have known that they are not liars But they are Christians who tell the truth. You should have listened to the preaching and you should have
5: believed it. And this blessing is for us. Blessed are you, says Jesus, who believe and have not seen. In fact,
1: while we look at Thomas and we say, oh, how blessed St. Thomas was to put his hands into the hands in the, the holes in the hands of Jesus, Oh, how blessed was St. Thomas to put his hand into the side of Jesus. Jesus says that you, in fact, are more blessed. Because you have faith, not from what you've seen, but from what you've heard. You have faith that is built on something more solid than your eyes. You have faith that is built on the rock-solid promises of the Word of God. In fact, that's how John ended This passage, did you hear it? He says, these are written so that you, you who are hearing, you right here today,
5: so that you would believe. And in believing in his name, have eternal life. That's the blessing for you. So we rejoice that we have heard the word. And that Jesus has used the word to get the victory of the cross to us.
1: Now, that's the theology of this passage, that Jesus uses the word to get the blessings of the cross to us. And we see that most especially as Jesus delivers to his disciples this great and fantastic gift of the absolution, which is what we want to meditate on for the rest of the sermon. Because on that Easter Sunday, Jesus, as he appears to the
5: ten, breathes on them and gives them this gift. Whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Whoever sins you bind, they are bound. And from
1: that, we have our doctrine of the absolution. Now, I remember, and I think I've told you guys this before, that this absolution, this declaration of the forgiveness of sins, this practice of the pastor standing up in front of the congregation and saying, in the name of Jesus, I forgive you, was an incredibly troubling thing to me. I remember very, very distinctly, and i've told you the story of the first time i was in uh the liturgical service and heard the absolution and i thought to myself who the heck does this guy think he is forgiving sins now i know by the way i know that i'm not the only person that's ever thought this because oh i don't know a couple dozen times when i'm standing at the back of the church greeting people who are leaving uh, people have said who the heck do you think you are <laughs> forgiving sins they've said it to me and I'll tell you what happened the first time that I, when I asked the pastor, because after the service I did the same thing, how is it that you can stand there and forgive sins? And he did this most wonderful and blessed thing. He, he took a Bible. In fact, he took the Bible that I was holding, and he asked if he could see it. I, I think he's so he wanted to prove he wasn't pulling out a trick pastor Bible that had extra verses in it or something. <laughs> he took my Bible, and he opened it to this passage, John
5: chapter 20. And he pointed to the words, and he read them. Look at what Jesus said. Whoever's sins, you forgive. They are forgiven. It's it's what Jesus said. And I said, I never noticed that before.
1: But there it is for us, that Jesus wants us to have the forgiveness of sins. He wants us to have the certainty that God is not mad at us anymore. He wants us to know, without doubt and without question, that our sins are released. They're sent away. They're forgotten. They're forgiven. Now, the picture, though, and because it's not some sort of special secret authority that God gives to pastors. In fact, the authority to forgive sins belongs to every single Christian. You, all Christians, all the baptized, can declare sins forgiven in the name of Jesus, the same absolute declaration. The only difference about the pastor is that the pastor is called to do it publicly, to stand before the congregation and to preach it and to announce it. But in our, co- in our private conversation, in our homes and wherever we go, we want to speak the same word. And the same authority is there. The same blessing is there. The same benefit is there. The forgiveness of sins is sure. Because it's not our forgiveness.
5: It's God's forgiveness. And here's the picture. Imagine that you are, that you are in prison
1: or in jail. And your case is being heard across the street in the courthouse. And the judge is listening to your advocate, to your defender, make the case why you should be set free. Now, in the picture, the judge is God the Father, and the advocate is Jesus Christ. And he is there pleading, not your innocence, but rather his blood shed for you. And because of his shed blood, you should be released. And the father hears the argument of the son, and the father declares you to be innocent, to be righteous, to be holy. But you are across the street, still in your cell. So the bailiff, the one who stands there in the court, and hears the declaration of the judge and has the key to your cell, he leaves the courtroom, comes across the street, opens your
5: cell and says, I set you free. Now you say to the bailiff, you can't set me free, only the
1: judge can do that, I'm staying here. (laughs) No, you don't say that. You say, God be praised, and you leave. The bailiff is not is not releasing you on his own authority. He's not deciding to break you out of prison. The bailiff heard what was declared by the judge and is delivering that to you. So Jesus says to his apostles, I give to you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whoever sins, you bind their bound. Whoever sins, you release. They are released. Th- that the father has put into the Christian hand the keys that set sinners free. And the absolution is using that key to open the cell. Now, this can go wrong in any number of ways. For example, let's just say the judge declares you to be free and innocent, and the bailiff, instead of coming to let you out, decides to go and play golf. Are you free? Well, legally, you're free, but you're still in prison. You don't know anything about it. Or let's say the judge declares you still to be guilty and you shouldn't be released and the bailiff comes and says, I set you free, and you leave. Are you free? Well, only until the police catch up to you. (laughs) And then you're back, you see. The whole picture only works. If everything
5: happens in the proper order, first the judge declares you free and then the bailiff comes and brings that freedom to you.
1: Now, dear, dear saints, that is precisely what Jesus is setting up here on Easter Sunday, when He appears to the disciples and He breathes on them and He says, "Receive the Holy Spirit. Whoever sins, you forgive are forgiven. Whoever sins, you bind, they are bound." Is setting up a way to deliver the heavenly verdict of the righteousness of Christ, of the victory of His cross, of the victory that Jesus won over sin and over death, and over the grave. He is setting up a way to get that victory to you so that you can know that the victory of Jesus is your victory, that the death of Jesus is your life, that the blood of Jesus is your innocence, that the suffering of Jesus is your righteousness,
5: so that you can know that. Jesus sets up the absolution. Now, he's, by the way, done the same thing in baptism and the same thing in the supper. He wants to deliver the grave, the empty tomb, the suffering, the blood, the cross. He wants to deliver all of it great to you. So these things mean the same. These sentences mean the same thing. Christ Jesus died for sinners. That means the same thing that Jesus says. My peace I give to you. And that means the ex- same thing as this sentence. As a called and ordained servant of the word, I forgive you all of your sins. This dying of Jesus, this rising of Jesus, this ascending of Jesus to the Father's right hand,
1: all of this is for you so that you would have the absolute certainty, the unmoving hope and confidence that God is not angry with you, that he does not hold your sins against you, but that your sins are forgiven and you are free from them and free from the fear of them, free from the guilt of them, free from the condemnation of them. You are set
5: free by this word of Jesus. Just as Jesus is free from death, you are free from the guilt of your sin. Dear saints, this is the joy of Easter for us. And the joy of the absolution. It's the joy of Thomas and the other disciples who heard the preaching of Jesus. And this joy is only beginning. It goes on forever. For all the baptized, for all the absolved, for all the Christians who are set free by this word, may God grant us this joy always. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. The peace of
1: God which passes all understanding guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord.
0: Amen. Amen. Yeah, you see, you see the difference. You see, they, these guys actually want you to understand what the text says, what it actually means. The, no community service announcements and stuff like that. I think you get the point. And they properly distinguish law and gospel, sin and grace, repentance, forgiveness of sins. Mm-hmm, that's the way you do it. I'm just saying. All right, we're at the end of another broadcast week. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash Myer Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at Pired Christian. Till next week. May God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross, for all of your sins. Amen.